You know, one thing that's really amazing about worship is we're all in here together, we're singing the same songs, and yet I'm, I'm aware that some sing that song, God, you're the way maker, you're the miracle worker, you're the light in the darkness, and you just sing it from a place of just absolute serenity in life. It's Oregon, it's summer, it's no longer raining, uh, it's a little hot, but we're not going to complain. There's no forest fires. Life is good. God, you are the way maker. Yeah, right? I mean, some of you are just in that spot today, and, you know, we'll try not to resent you. Others of us are kind of in, you know, a different place where maybe life is hard, and that same song, those same lyrics are sung out of desperation, or they're a prayer, and it's just a way of saying, God, show me your light show me your way, like show up in this darkness that I'm in. And we all sit in the same room as one family with different experiences and we sing it to the same God together who is faithful through all of it, right? And there's something about, I mean, you could sing that same song in your living room, it doesn't feel the same. Not as being here, not as sitting next to Frank and Roller right there who I love, right? Or Joan Anderson who's in here somewhere. Or Doug and Carol Marshall, right? Like there's, you sit next to people you love, all different experiences, and it unites us. That was all just extra. That's not even part of the sermon today. That's just, you know, we're just extending our great time together. Kids, you are not dismissed today. You're staying with us. We're thrilled by that. We're happy to have you. Um, thanks for joining us today. My name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, I'm happy the kids are with us because today we're launching a new series in the book of Proverbs, we're going to spend a few weeks in this book. We're calling this series A Hitchhiker's Guide to the Good Life. If you don't understand that reference, shame on you. It's okay. We'll just talk about it later. The idea here is that life is an adventure, that you and I are journeying through this world, and as we do, the Bible wants to give you guidance and direction so that your life will be good. Do you know that? God wants you to have a good life. The Bible wants to help you make decisions that will move you towards God and becoming the person he longs for you to be and not away from it. And this book is all about those decisions. So in this series, we're going to talk about a variety of subjects. We're going to talk about a number of things covered. But today, we are talking about the cornerstone subject of this book. Today, we're talking about wisdom. See, the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs are called the preamble, and they are all about wisdom. They're essentially this, the introduction to the entire book, all 31 chapters of Proverbs, and it's an argument being made by the writer why you should care about wisdom, why you should want it, why you should chase it and pursue it and commit to living with it. Because wisdom wants to give you the good life. And so today, I want to talk about it. I want to talk about wisdom. We're going to talk about what it is, why we miss it, how we get it, and where we find it. We're asking four questions today. The what, why, how, and where of wisdom. So if you're a note taker, buckle up. Pastor Nick, are you a note taker? Yeah, That's because you're a world changer, man. Good job. All right. That's Nick's favorite phrase. Note takers are world changers. And if you're not a note taker, that's okay. I'm not really either. I'm an auditory learner, so just enjoy this message. We're going to jump right in. We're going to start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. There's a song about that. Um, Proverbs, I'm going to read six verses. Just let these verses sort of get us ready for the word of God in our lives. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom 
and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. All right, let's start with our first question here today. What is wisdom? Tim Keller says one of the best ways to figure out what a word means, particularly a word in the scriptures, is to look at that word's synonyms. And right at the beginning of the book of Proverbs, we are given a slew of synonyms, descriptive words for the word wisdom. The first synonym we're offered is the word instruction. It says, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction. Instruction is an interesting Hebrew word because really what it's after, really what it means is depth of character. For gaining wisdom and depth of character. You see, wisdom, friends, is not just about what you know. Wisdom is about who you are. It's about allowing knowledge to guide and direct your life, your steps. That's the first word. That's the first description of wisdom. Here's the second. Insight. The Proverbs of of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight. Again, these words in Hebrew are so rich, we, can, we literally do not have English words to describe them. This word here, translated insight, literally means to notice differences, to see fine distinct, distinctions, that's a hard word to say, distinctions that other people cannot see. You see, if you're wise, the scriptures tell us, you will notice things, you will see things that other people don't See, friends, this is why when you're purchasing a home, you hire an inspector. Because they will see things wrong with the home you might have missed. This is why when you're struggling in life or in a relationship, you will go to a counselor because that counselor is trained to notice things in your life and in your relationship that you may not have noticed. This is why a detective, when they show up on a crime scene, they they notice clues and they see things that other people don't see. They have wisdom in these particular areas. Friends, insight is an element of wisdom. Wisdom is having insight for life or insight for living, as Chuck Swindoll used to say. Here's another synonym for wisdom. Prudence. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior. Prudent behavior, prudence, friends, is a word that means practical or strategic. It means to know how to actually get things done, how to make a dream or a goal or an idea into reality. See, this is not just a cognitive thing. This is an an actual life thing. Wisdom is not just knowledge. It's not just intelligence. It's knowledge and intelligence applied and lived out correctly. You see, wisdom is not just being right. 
It's being right in the right way and at the right time. When I was a youth pastor back in my 20s, I used to share an office down in the basement of our church with the middle school coordinator. This is in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And um, her desk, the middle school coordinator's desk, was in the front of the office. My desk was in the back of the office, kind of on the other side of this half wall of bookshelves. And one day, we were downstairs in the office, and one of our volunteers came in, and he was not happy. He was pretty upset. I don't remember why. I think it was about a decision that was made or how something in our ministry was communicated. I don't really remember, but I do remember this. He was mad. And he was one of those guys that had a reputation, just a little bit, for often being a bit of a high-maintenance volunteer. He was just a little too critical. He was just, you know, a little too vocal. He was too often opinionated about a lot, a lot of stuff. And so he comes into the office, he's upset, and he starts to chastise my friend, this middle school direct coordinator, who was, by the way, a very petite, very shy, very timid, middle-aged woman. And this guy is being loud, and he's being critical, and quite honestly, super condescending. But what he didn't know is that I was also in the room. He didn't know I was there. I was sitting around the other side of that little half wall at my desk, listening to everything he was saying. And after listening for a little bit of time, this guy just sort of berated my friend. Finally, I had enough, and so I stood up, and I walked around that little half wall just so he could see me, and I said, Brian, I do not appreciate the way you're speaking to Cindy. Let's take it down a notch. At this moment, Brian looks at me, and he kind of backs up, and he says, how dare you threaten me, Dave? And he turns, and he storms out of the office and goes racing down the hall. And I'm kind of looking at Cindy like, it's not my fault I'm 6'5". What's, what's happening here? Like, what just happened? So I go to the door, and I'm like, Brian, come back. Let's talk. And he's like, no, no. And he's just like storming off. And Cindy and I kind of sat there a little bit shocked. Well, a few days went past, and I got word that the senior pastor, Pastor Steve, wanted to speak with me in his office about this incident. And so I left my office down in the dark Dungeness basement and went up to the penthouse suites where the adult pastor's office. <laughs> and I go into Pastor Steve's office and honestly, friends, I thought with everything in me, with like no doubt at all, here's what Steve's gonna say to me. Great job, Dave. Thank you. Thank you for your courage. Thank you for your, your like, willingness to stand up for a coworker. We would like to pin a medal on you, like a purple heart of ministry at the next all staff meeting. And by the way, here's a gift card to Caribou Coffee. Go and enjoy a Frappuccino on me. Is that what Steve said? No, unfortunately, it's not what Steve said. Steve didn't say any of those things. He said, Dave, if, I was in seminary at this time, if you want to be a pastor, you have to learn to be gentle. You have to learn how to de-escalate people. You have to learn how to keep your cool even when others lose theirs. And then he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go and I want you to meet with Brian 
I want you to apologize for coming on too strong. I want you to listen what he has, to what he has to say, and then I want you to work it out with him. And honestly, in my mind and in my heart, and what I said to my wife later at home was, are you kidding me? Like, what are you talking about, Steve? This guy was being a jerk. This guy was being a bully. I didn't even do anything threatening. I just stood up for my coworker as I think I should have. What are you talking about? Go and apologize to Brian. But because I loved and respected Steve so much, he was just a wonderful man, a great pastor and a great mentor, because I had so much respect for him, I said, yes, sir. Plus, I was a military kid, right? That's what you say. Yes, sir. I'll do it. So I did. I met with Brian. I apologized. I listened to what he had to say. And when I did, not only did Brian apologize to me, he went and apologized to Cindy. And from that day forward, he became one of my most positive, supportive, and committed volunteers. For years, we served together after that, and he was never, ever an issue again. You see, I may have been right, but Steve was wise. Wisdom is not just about knowing what's right. It's about applying that knowledge rightly. Another person I read this week said, wisdom is practical theology for day-to-day, a day-to-day godly life in a complicated world. Wisdom is how to navigate choices when things aren't black and white, when people are involved and when emotions are involved and even when your own feelings might get in the way. It's how to navigate life when people are involved and emotions are involved and even when your own feelings might get in the way. That's good to hear, isn't it? That's this book, that's wisdom. That's our first question. Here's the second. Why do we miss it? Like, why do we miss out on wisdom? What keeps us from becoming wise people and walking a wise life? Let me read another section for you from Proverbs chapter 1, starting in verse 20. Out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. On top of the wall, she cries out. At the city gate, she makes her speech. How long will you, who are simple, love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Repent at my rebuke, then I will pour out my thoughts to you. I will make known to you my teachings. But since you refuse to listen when I call and no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand, Since you disregard all my advice and do not accept my rebuke, I in turn will laugh when disaster strikes you. I I will mock when calamity overtakes you, when calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind, when distress and trouble overwhelm you. I'm skipping down a little bit to verse 32. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. Two things here, friends. There's a lot in that section, but two things that... The author of Proverbs wants us to understand will keep us from wisdom. Both are talked about all throughout this book. When you read Proverbs, these terms will come up over and over and over again, two of them. The simple and the fool. First, let's talk about the simple. The simple is an idea and a word in Hebrew that means young, naive, inexperienced people 
who are too insecure and unrooted to make smart decisions. Why? Because they're going with the crowd. Notice it says, for the waywardness of the simple will kill them. He's saying, the simple people are people who are led off of the Lord's path because they care too much about where everyone else is going. They care too much about the crowd. They are far too influenced by what everybody else thinks. Young people, you have joined us for our service in big church today, and I am glad you are here because this problem is specifically directed at you. I don't know if you know this or not, but the entire book of Proverbs is actually written for kids. You see, you thought you were joining big church, but we're actually inviting all the adults to join kids and student ministries today because the book of Proverbs is written from a father to his child about how to live a, li a wise life in this world. You're the target audience for this message. You're the target audience for this entire series. Feel free to join us for the rest if you want. Is that okay for me to say, Pastor Jeremiah? All right, I don't know. We didn't talk about that. Um, here's the message. Here's the message. Learn this stuff early and it'll save you a lot of trouble and a lot of heartache and a lot of pain in your life. You see, here's the message. You are at an age where you really care a lot about what your friends think. That's just normal. That's just natural. Even all the gray-haired people in this room went through that same exact thing. And Proverbs says, everybody else is doing it is not always a good decision-making life guide. It's not. My mom and dad, did your parents ever say this to you? Like, you're like, mom, can I stay out till 2 a.m.? No, everybody else is doing it. Well, if everybody, right, if everybody else jumped off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge? Let me tell you a, a quick secret about Pastor Dave. When I was in the seventh grade, we lived in a small town in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. I was on the track team. One day for track, we were told to run like three miles. So me and a bunch of my buddies go off running through this small town for track practice. And we're running along, and one of my buddies has this idea, let's go down to the river. We go down to the river, we run past, we see a bridge. We're like, hey, you know what we should do? We should jump off the bridge. And I'm looking at this bridge, and I'm thinking, this is a stupid idea. We don't know what's in the river. We don't really know how deep it is. They say it's deep, but I don't know. I mean, who knows if a rock's moved in or a log's going to float by. But my friends start climbing up onto the top of this old railroad bridge and jumping off. What do you think I did? I jumped off too. Why? Because everybody else was doing it. So from that day forward, every time my mom said, hey, you can't stay out till 2 a.m., why? If everybody else jumped off a bridge, would you do it? Yes, I would. Yes, I would, Mom. That phrase did not work on me at all. All right. That's a true story, but not necessarily the point. The, po the book of Proverbs says, if you care too much about what other people think and what other people are doing, then you will be lured into making decisions that are tremendously destructive in your life. How long, verse 22, listen to this. Because now it starts to shift gears. You kids are feeling a little attacked. Hey, let me back it off. Let me include the adults. How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? You know, what the, that's what the, here's the author of Proverbs here. Are you, are you old people continuing to act like kids? How long are you going to act like kids? How long are you going to continue to just go with the crowd? Any adults in here still 
too influenced by what everybody else thinks? Any people pleasers in the room? Any adults in attendance that sometimes care too much about peacekeeping or making everybody happy, happy? You see, sometimes in this world, you have to go against the grain to do what's right and just and fair. That's the message of Proverbs. People will not always be happy with you. You see, being a wise person and living a wise life means at some point, you will have to ruffle some feathers. We see this all the time in the life of Jesus, don't we? When you read the New Testament, Jesus is really good at drawing a crowd over and over again. And the people came in droves and the crowds gathered and the crowds gathered. And then, and then there are just a few times where it says stuff like in John chapter six, from that time on, and this is after Jesus had said some really hard things, some truthful things that people didn't like. From that time on, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. You see, but everybody else is doing it is not a good philosophy for leading your life. Here's our second word. That was the word simple. Here's the second word that kind of keeps us from walking in wisdom. It's the word fool. Now, in tension to our first word, the word fool actually means to care too little about what other people think. Proverbs does this all the time, kind of sets things in tension. You see, a fool is someone who is wise in their own eyes. They don't seek out good counsel. They do not care what other people think at all. They only care about what they think. They can only see life through their own eyes. A fool is someone who is self-righteous, opinionated, stubborn, hard to persuade, and they get defensive if you try to correct them. Do you see how these two things sit in tension? The simple allow the crowd to lead them astray. The fool refuses to listen to anyone else's opinion. One cares too much about what other people think. The other cares too little. And wisdom says this, do not let insecurity and people-pleasing rob you of following God's path. And, and don't let your self-righteous pride and stubbornness rob you of getting good advice from others. Both of those are true. They will both get in the way of wisdom. Okay, third question. Wisdom, how do we get it? How do we gain wisdom? Some of you are sitting here today and you're thinking, I'm convinced, Pastor Dave, this whole wisdom thing sounds legit. I'm all in, I'd like some wisdom, I want some, and I need to sign up. Is there a table in the lobby? I have some hard news today. How we get wisdom, according to the book of Proverbs, is slowly. Slowly. And this is hard news for us. This is not what we want to hear because we live in a your way, right away world, don't we? We live in a world with express lines and express lanes. We want minute rice and instant oatmeal. We like microwaves, two-minute abs, fast commutes, and short sermons. Wrong church. <laughs> you see, friends, time and time again throughout the book of Proverbs, we find this idea, this image that life is like walking down a path. It's just an image that's all through the scriptures, but it's really prevalent in Proverbs. 108 times in 31 ch chapters, life depicted as walking down a path is presented. Galatians 2, or, sorry, Galatians 2.20, that's a good verse too. Proverbs 2.20. 
If you follow wisdom, you will walk in the ways of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. Proverbs 3.17, wisdom's ways are pleasant ways and all her paths are peace. Proverbs 4.26, give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Here's what this means. This idea that our life is like a path. It means life is long and slow. It's a long and slow journey. And the actions that you take repeatedly, day after day, will slowly but surely take your life in one direction or another. In other words, the way you choose to think day by day, the way you choose to speak day by day, the way you choose to act day by day, the choices you make and the actions you take in just everyday ordinary life are turning you into a certain person who is either wise or foolish. It doesn't happen in a moment. It doesn't happen in an instant. It doesn't happen at a class or a seminar or a retreat. Wisdom is something that is formed in us over time as we choose to walk the narrow path with God. Or it's something that's not formed in us over time as we choose to walk a different road. This past week, one of my dear friends and a man who I respect and love a ton turned 80 years old. He's a guy who's been in this church for many years, who's led and served here in so many ways. His name's Pete Amen. And Pete sent me a little thing. Pete is a great writer. He mostly writes about baseball. If you've read his baseball stories, they're wonderful. But he sent me this little thing called Some Reflections on Turning 80. And I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but I am going to read a few sections of it because I think it illustrates the point of wisdom being formed in us slowly over time and over the long, steady path of walking with God. Here's what Pete writes. I asked his permission, by the way, so you're not nervous about this. Well, here it is today, July 27th, 2022. I am officially an octogenarian. This is the time of life when I always thought people should hand over their car keys to a family member and quit buying green bananas. (laughs) Actually, turning 80 isn't all that bad. It's only 27 in Celsius, which sounds more reasonable. Better yet, I'm still a teenager in dog years. (laughs) Nevertheless, my aching body reminds me regularly that I've been around since before the Normandy invasion by Allied forces in World War II. I wake up in the mornings, unhook my CPAP mask, walk to the shower with every joint in my body screaming, help! Then I look in the mirror and see some old guy and jump back frightened, wondering if that mirror is accurate. Bob Hope had it right when he said, turning 80 was the time when even your birthday suit needs ironing. I recently ran across this quote in one of Anne Lamott's books. At this stage of my life, I understand just enough about life to understand that I do not understand much of anything. That pretty much sums it up. I keep wondering at what age I'll figure things out. However, one does pick up a few things in 80 years on this planet, even if no one else cares at this point. Life has been good to me. There are only a few of my circumstances I would change though there are several ideas, actions, and reflections that I would take a mulligan on. I've learned that some things, not all, of course, that I thought were black and white are actually quite gray, and I've grown comfortable with some grayness. Nor do all of life's questions fit neatly into a true or false test. I value some things differently at this age, too. For instance, the national awards and plaques from my employer are useless, 
unwanted even in a garage sale. Just more things to throw out. A hug from my granddaughter is of far more value. And friends, family, and memories. Sorry about that. Are more important than accumulating more stuff. And I really, really value that I'm married up several notches. Yes, several. There is a lot I could say, but I had to write this parable about myself. I signed up for a class once to learn about life. The prof, by the funny name of Mr. American Dream, was teaching a class on how to live a worry-free, wrinkle-free life. I was in his class for several years. He finally admitted he wasn't living it himself, so he just up and quit one day. I hadn't learned much from him anyway. In his place, a mean-looking substitute teacher walked in. His name was Mr. Chronic Pain. He wasn't invited, he wasn't welcome, and he wasn't liked by anyone, including me. Mean old buzzard. I'm still in Mr. Payne's class, though. I have to admit, he has turned out to be a pretty effective instructor. I chafe under his irritating methods, but he has taught me much more about life than the previous teacher. And that's what I was after in the first place. How many more of these birthdays will I have? I don't have a clue. Dad only made it to 76. But mom kept on ticking until she was 99. There is only one person who knows. All the days ordained for me were written in God's book before one of them came to be, Psalm 139. That suits me just fine. So I'll go full throttle ahead until the one who knows tells me those days are used up. Then I'll ride off into the sunset singing this song. Jesus led me all the way, led me step by step each day. I will tell the saints and angels as I lay my burden down, Jesus led me all the way. I think Aidy and I will get along just fine. Thank you, Pete. Yeah, that's worth that. We should all like just band together and just overwhelm Pete with birthday messages, like texts, emails, cards, and he's just like, you know, he's listening online, so he knows that's going to happen. Um, <laughs> You see, it's not that if you're old, you're automatically wise. That's not the message. Don't miss it. Or that if you're young, you can't make wise decisions. That's not true either. See, you can be young and wise, and you can be old and foolish, but there is an element of wisdom that is like a fine wine. If it is cared for properly, it will only get better over time. You see, wisdom grows and develops on the long, steady path of walking with God through life. And that leads us to our final question today. Where do we find it? Where do we find wisdom? How do we get on this path? Listen to these words. They're probably the crowning words, the crowning verse of this entire book. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. You see, first of all, we need to understand there's two different kinds of fear and which one this verse speaks of. The first kind of fear is being afraid in the presence of someone. This is someone who might be mean or harmful or abusive or insulting. This is someone who's not trustworthy and they have the power to hurt you. When you are with that person, you will be fearful of them in a bad way. But the second kind of fear is when you find yourself in the presence of someone that you revere and respect immensely. 
someone you are literally in awe of, someone you have tremendous admiration for. You ever been around someone like this? You see, when you're around that person, you are a little nervous, aren't you? You see, these people create a different kind of fear in us. It's not the fear of being afraid. It's not the fear of thinking you might get hurt. It's the fear that you might disappoint them, that you might dishonor them, that you might grieve them or hurt them or let them down. That's the fear of the Lord that's being described here. It's the absolute awe and wonder and respect of a powerful, loving, mighty, sovereign God. This is not just a movie star or a rock star or some famous athlete. This is the God, the Lord of heaven and earth. And so when you are around him in his presence, there is just this overwhelming sense of wonder and awe and fear in a good way. But the question is, how does that fear create wisdom in our lives? How does that translate to a wise life? Let me try and explain it this way. Stay with me on this just for a minute. I added this this morning. I just couldn't get it out of my mind. I thought, I have to do this. So if it doesn't work, grace. If it works, awesome. Let's pretend like in the middle of the sermon today, all of a sudden, someone burst into the back of the room, came down the center aisle, stood about halfway there, and then just said to me in a loud voice, Canary, Pastor Dave, Canary. And they turned and walked out. You'd all be kind of looking around and you'd be thinking, what just happened? That was crazy. But to make sense of this moment, you'd have to put it into a narrative. The way you make sense of it in your mind, you do this with every single instance, every single moment of your life, you do this to make sense of your life, it fits into a larger story. And so to make sense of this moment, you'd have to determine what's the story behind it so that it can actually fit into my mind. And there's a bunch of different narratives you could choose, right? Um, There's certainly one that's true, but not knowing, you could choose a number of different narratives. The first one could be, a sad narrative, this person is obviously struggling to have some mental illness, right? Potentially, that's the most likely of scenarios. But there's another narrative that makes sense at this moment, if you thought about it. Perhaps yesterday, I was at the public library, and um, I was kind of looking around, and I was talking to the librarian. I was saying, I saw this bird in my yard, and I don't know what kind of bird it was. And I was describing the bird, and I'm here kind of looking for a book, and the librarian's confused, and they can't help me. And this guy, he overhears my conversation, and we start describing this bird together, and I'm going, I don't know the name. Do you know the name? And he's like, I can't think of the name. It's on the tip of my tongue. And we together try and find the name of the bird, but we cannot remember it. We cannot think of it, and so we part ways. But before we part, like we introduce each other, and I say, I'm the pastor at Cedar Mill Bible Church. Well, last night at 3 a.m., he woke up, blink. It's a canary! And he could not, like, he was so excited to finally remember the name that he burst in here in the middle of church and yelled, it's a canary, Pastor Dave, and then walked out. Now, all of a sudden, that narrative helps this moment make sense, doesn't it? Here's a third option. As it turns out, Pastor Dave is not really just a pastor at all. He's actually a secret agent. He works for the government. This whole pastor thing is just sort of a ruse He's really like one of those really like cool guys who flies around in jets and drives fast cars and busts bad guys. He's a secret agent. That guy was one of his contacts and canary is the code word. Now this story sounds far-fetched, but in your mind you're thinking, this does kind of fit with the coolness of Pastor Dave. So maybe that's the case, right? The point is this, all three of those narratives explain this moment. And Each one of those narratives will sort of evoke a different response from you. 
You'll talk about it differently. You'll respond differently. You'll act differently. You'll treat me differently depending on which narrative is actually the correct one. Let me give you one more example. You're a parent and your kid comes into church 25 minutes late. You're sitting here, you're going, where are they? Like, we're singing, Austin's doing his thing, reading prayers, and da-da-da, and you're looking at your watch. I'm about to preach. What are they doing? They're not in here. Finally, they stroll in and sit next to you. Now, there's a few different narratives can explain this. Maybe they're just sitting in the lobby and lost track of time. That's going to evoke a certain response from you parents, right? Maybe your child and one of their friends found the extra donuts and where we store the communion juice, and they've been upstairs partying, eating donuts, and drinking the communion juice for 25 minutes when they should have been in church. Or maybe an elderly member of our church fell down the stairs on the way into the service today and your son or daughter was out there helping, being of assistance, and has now finally made their way into the service. Now, depending on which narrative it is, you're going to respond much differently, aren't you? It's going to really shape the way you respond and how you live from this moment forward as you interact with your child. What does this have to do with our verse? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Friends, the author of Proverbs is saying, this is the narrative that your entire life fits into. This is the story that should drive all of your thoughts, actions, words, and decisions. There is a God, a God who created this entire universe, who's the author of all creation, who created you and loves you and cares about you so much that he sent his son to this earth to die on a cross for all your sins and to rise from the grave and defeat death so that you can live eternally with him forever in this place called heaven, which is the place where God rules and reigns and everything is the way that God intends for it to be. That's the narrative for your entire life. Now with that narrative as a backdrop, doesn't that change the way you talk to your neighbor doesn't that change the way you respond to adversity? Doesn't that shape the way you spend your time and energy and money? You see, the narrative of your life really matters. And Proverbs says, if you want to live the wise life, if you want to walk the wise path, then remember this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Let that central core truth drive the decisions of your life. And if you do... That truth, that story, that reality will lead you towards wisdom. You see, friends, Proverbs is saying to you and me that when we learn to fear God in a good way, and when we are constantly aware of and grasping more and more his power and his value, and when we begin to understand, not just in our minds, but in the depths of our souls, his amazing grace and love, we will be transformed not into people who make wise decisions, not just that, but into people who live a story that makes us wise. Do you want that wisdom today? Do you believe that story, church? Is that the narrative that's driving all of your existence? If so, if so, then you are on the path of wisdom. I'd like to join you. Let's pray. Father, we do gather again to sing and to listen and to open your word.
and to fellowship all in the name of declaring again that you are God, that you are good and mighty and sovereign and gracious and majestic and merciful. May that story, Lord, drive more of who we are. May it define us more and more that we might be people, people who walk with you in this world, people who are wise. That's our prayer, and we pray it in Christ's name. Amen.